invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Be looking at the end of that chapter, verses 22 through 33. Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. Uh, Paul is basically has finished his teaching ministry, and now he's kind of doing some closing remarks and sharing about his plans and his desires for the future as well as for the present, and also asking for some prayers. Uh, next couple of weeks, we'll be dealing with chapter 16, which is kind of a closing saga, dealing with many thanks to the people who have uh, ministered alongside of him, as well as some closing remarks to Timothy and uh, just kind of a benediction. But allow me to read this passage of Scripture to us. Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain. For I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you. When I first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the if the Gentiles had shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs... I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we pray that as you open up our hearts and our minds to this word, Lord, that you'll show us, Lord, a desire, Lord, to always have a vision for the future. Lord, always be focused on what you have us doing right now. And Lord, the desperate need that we have to pray for others and to be prayed for. Lord, guide us in this study. God is in understanding how we can apply this your word to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know what? Regardless of what all Paul has accomplished in his life, you would think he's already had a full life of ministry, that he's probably put in enough years and definitely enough miles, uh, definitely enough hardships to just hang it up and say, I've done enough. So that's never been Paul's desire. It's never been his heart. He's always looking for the next thing on the horizon. How can I still be used of God? And so basically what we see here is that Paul continues to have a vision for the future. But at the same time, he also knows that he still has some loose ends to take care of. He still has a current ministry that, that God has him uh, working in. So he knows that he has to stay focused on finishing up what God already has him doing. And he also realizes that nothing that he has ever accomplished and nothing that he will continue to be able to accomplish will ever be able to be done without the support of others. Now, Paul had much support. Just about all the different cities and towns and regions he went to, he didn't go alone. He, he had companions that went with him or others that met him there, uh, companions and co-workers that he developed along the way. And sometimes he had a large entourage traveling with him. Sometimes it's just one or two people. But he always had 
people supporting him. Many times it was a financial support that they would give him a place to sleep, give him some food along the way, maybe some finances for his ministry. Other times it was just simply being there physically with him, just moral support. There was times in many of the prophets' lives where they felt that they were all alone. And one prophet basically was telling the Lord, God, I'm about ready to give up. I'm the only one left. And God opened his eyes and showed him there were still thousands of others that had not bowed the knee knee to Baal and that were still a part of that ministry. And so we need to see that we're not alone in the ministry of Christ. And we also need to know that prayer is a powerful thing. And we need to pray for others and we need others to pray for us. So through this passage of scripture, I see really three things. First of all, let's be challenged to keep a vision for the future. What does God still have in store for us today? And also, what does God have us doing right now? Am I being faithful to fulfill that calling upon my life? And then may we definitely continue to pray for one another and to unashamedly ask others to pray for us. So let's look at verses 22 through 24. We see Paul's vision for the future. It says, For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you. If you go back just a couple of verses, he basically was saying that uh, I've never gone to where another man has been ministering. I've always gone to where uh, God's led me to, to do a new work. And so he, he's basically saying, I have always gone to the east. This is the area that he's been ministering to, basically Asia Minor and things, areas like that. And so that's where he's been ministering. Because then he says, but now with no further place for me in this region. Now that doesn't mean that Paul has witnessed to every single person in Asia Minor. It just means that he has, he has covered the territory very well. He has set up churches in strategic areas, uh, left pastors behind to minister, to continue to share the gospel in those regions. And so now that he has covered the region to the east, Asia Minor, he is now planning to come to them. Where? Rome. He's talking to the people in the church of Rome. He wants, he has a, in many years, a longing to come to you, those who are in Rome. But he adds this little phrase, whenever I go to Spain. See, it's Paul's future vision that he wants to go to Spain. Uh, in those days, it's probably more technically Hispania. And it was kind of like our wild frontier in the wild west of the United States in its earlier days. It was not like the Roman Empire. It was not real refined and, and cultured. It was still not really barbarous, but kind of uncultured and uh, a lot of things that were not really settled yet. But that's where Paul wanted to go. That was the new frontier where the ministry of Christ still needed to go. And basically, this area would continue, would have been the area of Spain. Uh, there, there's a lot of question. Did Paul ever get to Spain? We'll go cover that just a little bit. And maybe even continue past Spain to Gaul, which would be France, and even to Britain. What we call Great Britain. Could Paul have made it that far? We don't know. But what we do know is it's his heart to make it to Spain. And he wants to use Rome as kind of a launching place. Now, Paul did this pretty regularly. His first ministry basically radiated out of the area of Antioch. Antioch was kind of his main headquarters, and then he radiated outwards from there. He did the same thing with Ephesus and later with Corinth. As a matter of fact, he is writing this letter from Corinth even as he speaks. And so what we see is that Paul has a desire 
to go to Rome, to minister there, to, to have time with them. It says in verse 24, For I hope to see you in passing and to be helped by you, on the way by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So he wants to come, enjoy his company with them, minister among them, be ministered to by them, and then be encouraged, be supplied, so that he can branch out from Rome on into Spain. That is Paul's vision for the future. And the question is, do we have a vision? Do we have a vision for tomorrow? Do we have a vision for a month today? Uh, I, I listened to a little podcast one time. It's about a guy that, uh, he was an entrepreneur. He actually started a moving company, and he always hired high school students or kids who just graduated high school that really didn't know what they are going to do for the rest of their lives. And so here's his desire. He hired them, and after about a week of back-breaking work, he sat them down and said, Now, what do you see yourself doing a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? Obviously, after this week, you don't want to do this for a lifetime living. And so it made them start to think, What is my future? Do I want to continue doing back-breaking work for the rest of my life, making you know just a little bit of money, or do I want to set a future goal for myself where I can actually see myself supporting myself? And so we, we know that we all need to have a future goal. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. We need to know that God still has a future plan for us. And so Paul had a future vision of where God was leading him, and we need to ask God, God, where are you leading me in the future? It may not be a physical place distant from here, but it may be a another ministry, something a little bit different than what we're doing right now. See, I think we kind of like getting in ruts sometimes where everything's familiar. We get up and do the same things over and over. We, we, we don't like change a lot. But sometimes God wants us to get out of the rut. He wants us to see that there is something else that he desires us to do. Maybe a little out of the ordinary, something a little bit different. For Paul, it was always what's on the horizon. Where else can I go? And so we see his heart that he truly had a vision for the future. But if you look at verses 25 through 28, you see that Paul still has a current responsibility. Paul basically says, before I come to you, I first have to go to Jerusalem. Now, you've got to go back to Acts as well as to, I think, Second Corinthians to find out why is Paul needing to go to, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not a real friendly place for Paul. If you remember, Paul was sent out from Jerusalem as a man named Saul so that he could persecute Christians. And that was the mindset behind the Jewish believers in, or the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem. They did not like Christianity. They wanted the Christians to be locked up, persecuted, and even executed. And Paul was one of the chief ones to do that. But when Paul became Saul, I mean Saul became Paul, I'm sorry, uh, his life changed, and works in Jerusalem were gradually changing. If you remember, when Jesus commanded his apostles at the very close of his ministry, even after his resurrection, he said, Wait ye here in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then... Go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, they did a real good job of staying in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, there had to be a great persecution in Jerusalem to make some of the apostles to scatter and to move outward into Judea and into Samaria and then into the other parts of the earth. 
And so why was it a difficult place to minister in Jerusalem? Well, even though the first really church began there, the first Christian movement began in Jerusalem, there are those who were called Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were basically those who claimed to be Christians. But they believed that in order for a Gentile to become a Christian, they first had to become Jewish in nature. They had to become proselytes. They had to be circumcised. They had to follow all the Jewish laws and commandments and traditions. They had to eat a kosher meal. They had to partake of all the feasts and festivals. In other words, they had to become Jewish at heart before they could become a child of God, before they could become a Christian. And so the church in Jerusalem was constantly being persecuted by the Judaizers, those who believe that you cannot become a Christian unless you become basically a Jew first. And so if you remember the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul was basically preaching exactly against that. He was saying to the Gentiles especially, you don't have to become a proselyte Jew. You don't have to follow the the rules and regulations of Judaism. Jesus fulfilled the law of, of, of Moses and You just simply need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died for your sins, that he raised from the grave, that he uh, ascended to God in heaven. And so what Paul is going to be dealing with are those who stand totally against what he's been preaching and teaching in his ministry. And so, well, why does he want to go to Jerusalem? It's not necessarily that he wants to go. He feels compelled to go. And here is what took place. There are two churches, one in Macedonia and one in Achaia. And they had taken up an offering for the persecuted church in Jerusalem, for the poor and needy in Jerusalem. And here's, here's basically what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 tell us about Macedonia. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of effect, affliction... Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Macedonia was a poor church in and of itself. But yet they gave far beyond what they were, quote, expected to or even able to do. In other words, it was a true sacrificial love offering that they were giving. Why were they giving it to this church in Jerusalem if they were poor and needy themselves? Well, it was somewhat to a degree to uh, a debt to be owed. They looked at Jerusalem as being the founding center of Christianity. They knew that out of this church in Jerusalem that the gospel had radiated outward to the edges of the earth. And they were the ones who had received this gospel message because the saints in Jerusalem had been faithful to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they felt that they were spiritually in debt to the church in Jerusalem. Now the church in Jerusalem is being persecuted, and they're poor and needy. They take up a love offering, them and the K.I., and they send this love offering to Jerusalem, and they plead with Paul to be the one to take it. Now, here's the problem. Paul knows, he knows for a fact that he is not going to be well received when he gets to Jerusalem. 
How does he know that? Well, if you go through uh, Acts and Second Corinthians, we find out that at least two different times, the Holy Spirit himself warns Paul of the danger he will face as he goes to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, he is uh, a prophet comes up to him and holds his hands like this and says, Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, expect to be bound when you get there. How many of y'all want to go to Jerusalem if that's what you're being told? Paul may not have wanted to, but he was compelled to go. Even with those warnings, he knew that it was God's will for him to go to Jerusalem. When he goes, he does present this offering to the, to the poor and needy in Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem. But as soon as he gets there, he knows that he's going to be attacked. He does all he can to try to appease the Judaizers. As a matter of fact, there were some, some men who were finishing up a, a, a fasting, a, a pledge, kind of like a Nazareth pledge. And they say, why don't you go to the temple and you give the, you kind of be the sponsor for them. You pay off their pledge. That will show the Judaizers that you still believe in, in the laws of Judaism. And so he does this. But just so happens that one of his co-workers came with him. And the Judaizers assumed that he was a Gentile, uncircumcised. And if an uncircumcised man entered into the temple, it was blasphemy. And so they took Paul and they tried to beat him. They tried to arrest him. They were trying to kill him. And the Roman guards came and rescued him. And through a series of events, he, he stood before Ephesus. He stood before the Sanhedrin. And the Roman people... The Roman uh, government basically says, we don't have any charges against you. It's all a Jewish matter. How about you standing before the Jewish council and let them determine your fate? And Paul said, if I do that, I'm dead. They will find a reason to execute me. So he says these words, I appeal to Caesar. Let Caesar find out if I'm guilty. Well, when he said that, the only recourse the Roman officials had was to send him to Rome. Guess what? That's exactly where he wanted to go anyway. Beforehand, Paul would have had to have paid his own way there, found his own transportation, but now Rome's going to pay the way. The Roman officials will put him on a boat. Now, it's not going to be easy. If you remember, going back through Acts, he is shipwrecked only because of the grace of God where all the people on the ship survived and they made it to the island of Melita and... And Paul's trying to help out by putting some fire on a, on a fire to try to dry them out after swimming to shore. And a venomous snake leaps out and bites them. They assume that, well, that shows his guilt. He'll die in just a few minutes. And he just shakes it off, and he's fine. And sooner or later, he finally makes it to Rome, all at the taxpayer's expense of Rome. And not only that, but they put him in house arrest for two years. Now, he is technically chained to some Roman soldiers, but they allow anybody and everybody to come in and visit him. So anybody that wants to come and minister to him or be ministered to by him, whether it's some of his uh, co-workers or whether it's some of the people of Rome, they're all welcome to come. So basically, Paul is free to minister. And on top of that, guess what? Well, because he appealed to Caesar, guess whose audience he gets to have? He gets to stand before Caesar and share the gospel at least once, probably at least two or three times. So he got to go to Rome. 
after he fulfilled his responsibility. Now, the current responsibility was to go to Jerusalem to present this love offering. Paul knew that it would not be an easy feat to do, but he did it. And he prayed all along the way, Lord, may this offering be used for your honor and glory to to do what it's there for. But the question I see here is, what does God have us doing right now as part of the ministry that he's given us as a child of God? Are we being faithful in fulfilling what God has on our heart right now, no matter what the cost may be? If it's to go to a neighbor, if it's go to go across the street, if it's to go to a family member that, that's without Christ, if it's to share Christ in a situation where it might not be well received, are we willing to do that? Are we are we seeing the opportunity to fulfill what God is doing us doing in our lives right now? Let me just be honest. If if you're not doing anything for the Lord right now, you are out of God's will. Because God has a heart for every single child of God to be actively doing something in his ministry. It may not be standing on a street corner preaching the gospel. It may not be, you know, something very visible, but God wants us all to be ministering in some form or fashion in his name, for his honor, for his glory. And there's an old saying, bloom where you're planted. God can use you wherever you are. Whether it's your workplace, whether it's in your neighborhood, wherever you are, God can be using you. And God can use you at no matter what age you're at, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what you may face, God can find you faithful. Well, that brings us down to verse 29 through 31. We're going to find out that Paul is not ashamed to ask for prayers. And we don't need to be ashamed to ask for prayers either. See, if God has us in a ministry, which he should have, then we need the prayers of others. And those who are in ministry need our prayers. Your pastor needs your prayers. I I promise I cannot stand this pulpit Sunday after Sunday or Wednesday night. I cannot go into this community and minister. I can't minister to you as the congregation without your prayers. I need the prayers to have the, the physical, mental, spiritual, emotional strength to do what God's called me to do. That's basically what Paul is asking for. He, he is praying before he actually goes to Jerusalem. And here is what he is saying. He is saying in verse 31, Pray that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be may approve acceptable to the saints. He already knows that there's going to be a trying time, that there's going to be persecution, that there's going to be obstacles in the way. And he is praying, even then, for the people in Rome to pray for him that he would be successful, that he would overcome the obstacles, that he would be able to face the persecutions. So every minister, every pastor needs your prayers. We, as Christians, we need to be praying for your pastor, for other pastors in the community, for other ministers that you know or are acquainted with, for other ministries that you know about, for missionaries, for our 5,000 or so uh, international missionaries, for our 5,000 or so uh, North American missionaries. Each and every one of them needs our prayers. And folks, prayer is a powerful, powerful thing. And did you know that you can just pray spontaneously? I shared with Susan on my first, well, I think about my first missionary trip to, to Brazil. 
Um, on our way, we, we had to stop in, I think, Rio and change planes and pl- flew to a place called, uh, let's see, Capoganje, and then get on a bus for a six-hour trip uh, to where we were ministering. Well, while we were in Capoganje, we stopped at this mall to eat lunch. And we were just standing around, you know, a bunch of, bunch of Americans speaking English, and we all had the same T-shirt on. And this couple walked up, and they spoke in English, and they said, what are y'all doing? You know, what's, what's this T-shirt for? And, and uh, all this, because we had Brazil on it. And so we shared with them the ministry that God called us to come. And they said, well, it just so happens we're about to go to America. We're, we feel that God's led us to New York to do a ministry to drug addicts and alcoholics. And so we said, we need to pray for each other. So right there in the mall, we've got 20 or 30 people grabbing hands and praying for one another. Isn't that amazing that you can do that anywhere, under any circumstances, that God hears our prayers, even in a mall in the middle of Brazil? And he understood English where only Portuguese has been spoken. Isn't that amazing? But we look and we see Paul is pleading for these people to pray for him. He knows that he knows that he could not have done any of the ministries that he had already been accomplished without the prayers and support of others. He knows that he cannot continue to minister in the name of the Lord unless others are praying for and supporting his ministry. So the support he's needing, number one, is prayer. Because basically that entire passage, 29 through uh, 31, is him asking for the prayers of others. But also, he's asking for support. You remember, if you go back up to the first few verses, he says, I want to go to Spain. I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. He wants financial support so that he can travel to Spain. But he also knows he needs their prayer support. Every ministry that is worth doing needs prayer. It needs support. It needs a lot of different kinds of support. Prayer is number one. Without prayer, there is no ministry. There is no ministry without prayer. Ministry cannot happen without prayer. There's always a financial need. Um, There's also physical need. Like I said, Paul, you really can't find a place where Paul is ministering all by himself. He always has somebody, a team usually, along with him. If you remember when, when Paul was in one city and he realized, or his friends realized that they were about to try to uh, assassinate him. They put him in a basket and lowered him over the wall. Do you think one guy did that? No. His friends got together. Those who were working alongside of Paul helped save his life. When he was stoned as unto dead, he had a gathering of friends, supporters, co-workers that gathered around him. I really believe that if they hadn't been there, he, probably, he may have been dead that he might not have been revived so that he could walk right back into the city and begin ministering all over again. We need prayer. You need prayer. And you as a child of God, ministering in whatever ways God wants you to do, you need to ask for prayer. You need a prayer warrior. It may be a family member. It may be a close friend. It may be somebody in our church. It may be somebody in our community that you have a, a connection with. And you need to say, you know, we just need to lift each other in prayer every day. Sometimes we'll give specifics as to 
maybe an obstacle that we see that God that is in our uh, midst that's keeping us from doing what we know God wants us to do. Sometimes we may sense that there's persecution. Sometimes we just need to pray that we receive wisdom, guidance, and understanding to know exactly what God wants us to do and how he wants us to do it. But we need prayer, and we need to pray for others. So there's really three things that I see, powerful statements. First of all, the first few verses, Paul always had a future vision. And we as children of God need to always be looking to see, God, what do you have me to do later? What do you need me to be preparing myself for for the future? Is it a different place? Is it a different ministry? Is it different people that you want me to build relationships with so that I can share Christ with? Whatever it may be, Lord, help me to have a future vision of what you still have in store to do in and through me. But Lord, here's the second part. Help me to be found faithful in what you already have me doing. Whatever ministry you have me doing, whether it's ministering to a neighbor, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, whether it's sharing Christ with uh, a co-worker, whatever it may be, help me, Lord, to remain faithful, to overcome whatever obstacles may come along the way, to not worry about any persecution or anything else, but to remain faithful to what you have me doing right now. And, Lord, I need prayer. Help me to, to bond together with others who will be prayer warriors for me. And, Lord, help me to be a prayer warrior for others. Folks, every one of us know of ministries that are going on. I've shared these two names quite a bit, uh, Jeff Shelnut and Patrick Evans. They're the two guys that live adjacent to the pastorium. They have this ministry, uh, we, we call it the Life Center, but it's, uh, it goes by a couple of other different names. But they have a heart for the young people in this community. Uh, they're former missionaries to Nigeria, and I've, I've built a great relationship with them. And we meet quite often. We're just across the street from each other. We eat with each other, and, and we've become kind of accountability partners. We pray for each other. We lift each other up, and we hear each other's concerns. And I appreciate those guys, but we need to pray for them. They need to pray for us. There are, I don't know how many pastors in Knoxville County, uh, if you look at the beacon, there's some more churches. I think there are really churches here. But each one of those churches, I guess, has a pastor, and we need to pray for them. There are other ministries going on in this location. There's ministries going on in your life. We need prayer. Prayer is a powerful thing, and we take it so for granted. Our prayers typically are, I get up out of bed, and I'm going to say a few words, God bless this day, guide me, help me, amen. And then, at the end of the day, God, thank you for being with me today. Help me get a good night's sleep so I'll be ready for tomorrow. Amen. And we sit down for a meal. God bless his food. Nurse me. Amen. Folks, that's not prayer. That's giving thanks to God. That's saying, Lord, I want to surrender myself. But prayer is serious. It spends some time, emotional, spiritual energy, begging God work in your life, through your life, for his honor, for his glory, for his will to be done, and that he will work the same way in the lives of this person, this person, this ministry, this missionary, 
Give them as personal information as you can. Make it real to you. The more you know about that person, that ministry, that missionary, the more you can directly pray for them. There's some wonderful ministries. We, we talk about Samaritan's Purse, the, the shoebox ministry. We'll be collecting things very soon for that. Uh, that's another ministry. Are we being faithful to it? There's so many ministries that we could all be a part of. What is God calling you to do right now in your life? What is he already working through you to do as a ministry to others right now? Are we being faithful? What is God preparing you to do for the future? Are you willing to look past today, past tomorrow, and say, Lord, what's still out there? I'm not dead yet, so there's still another day. What do you want me to be preparing myself to do? And then, Lord, as I see it, help me to be faithful, to take the steps towards it. Lord, I can't do it alone. I need others. I need others to pray. I need others to stand beside me, to support me, maybe financially, maybe emotionally, spiritually, whatever way. Lord, can't do it alone. Paul was never alone. Matter of fact, next week we're going to see a long list of names that he gives praise for, that he thanks God for. People who are, were part of his ministry. Are we a part of somebody's ministry? Are we being used by God? Three things. God, am I being faithful right now? God, show me the future, your vision for the future in my life. And Lord, help me to pray for others as they pray for me. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, I think we all know the power of prayer. Lord, there's been times in our lives where we have maybe gone through a, a crisis. And Lord, we have felt the power and the strength that comes through the prayers of others. But Lord, on a day-to-day basis, we still need prayers. Lord, whatever the ministry may be that you have us doing today, it may be a co-worker that we're praying for, that we're looking for opportunities to share the gospel or to minister or to share our own personal testimony or just to, to help them in some way see the love of Christ. Lord, it may be a neighbor. It may be a family member. Or it may be a personal ministry that you called us to. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, we can't do it alone. We need prayer. But Lord, those who are doing other ministries need our prayers. May we be found faithful to pray for others, to, Lord, to truly come before your throne on their behalf, lifting them up to you, giving as many specifics as we know in our hearts to give. Lord, knowing the persecution or the obstacles that they're facing or the frustration that they're dealing with, or whatever it may be, help us to lift others up, whether it's an individual or a ministry or a missionary, whoever it may be, may we be found faithful. Lord, help us to know that there's still a future. Lord, that you still have a purpose for us. Lord, we may not even be thinking about what you might want us to be doing a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. Lord, whatever it may be, help us be found faithful. Lord, guide us. Use us for your honor and glory in all we strive to do. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.